No, welcome. Uh, if you guys don't know me, my name is Luke. Uh, I am a community leader. My wife, Melissa, and I uh, lead a community up in the Mason area. We've been doing that uh, since the beginning of the year. Um, we've been at Missio since really the early days, uh, early 2012. Um, we've been married eight years, uh, just celebrated eight years in March, and we've got three kids, Samuel, Elise, and Solomon. Um, Solomon's our, our newest addition. He's just two months old. Uh, but feel honored and privileged, and it's a joy to be with you guys. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Kurt had said he was going to be out of town and asked if, uh, a few of us if we'd be willing to preach, and um, my plan was to take one of the dates in November, so I'm like, oh, it'll give me plenty of time, and he was like, well, 13th, or the 14th is really what I need, and I'm like, okay, I can probably do that. It's a couple weeks, and I was like, what's it about? He's like, it's going to be about sex, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, Sure. We can do that. Uh, most of the times I've been up here, I've been talking about kids because my wife and I used to lead the kids ministry here. Um, so this is a different topic, uh, and it's, it's great to talk about to be continuing in our uh, God's Good Gift series uh, that got kicked off last week with Kurt um, leading uh, last week off with uh, the first sermon in the series. Um, and he gave a little bit of background. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7 this morning, so if you want to start turning there. Um, he gave a little bit of background last week, but for those who maybe weren't here, uh, I wanted to just give a little more background and context of what we're going to be reading this morning. Um, so 1 Corinthians, uh, that is a, uh, a, a book uh, in the New Testament written by Paul, uh, who fills the office of apostle. Um, so that's what gives him the authority. He is, a, he is an apostle of God, uh, and stemming from um, his uh, experience with Christ and, and meeting face-to-face with Christ with his conversion. Uh, won't go too far into that, but um, he is speaking authoritatively here, and this is actually a letter. So he's writing to the church in Corinth, which was a city in Greece, and uh, a lot of the letters Paul writes throughout the New Testament are more proactive letters where he will... He is writing to encourage a church or a body of believers somewhere in the world. Uh, this is a little different in the sense of um, he is writing more reactively. So the context of this letter is that several people have reached out to him uh, from the church of Corinth, uh, a couple leaders that he knows, um, as well as some people in the church. Uh, and they've written to him about areas of concern, um, things that are going, behaviors that are happening in the church uh, that they're concerned about and they would like to see um, him respond to and give wisdom and speak into. Uh, so that's kind of the context. And, and some of those areas of concern is, as you look through 1 Corinthians are things like division in the church, disagreements in the church, um, grievances, there's a, there's a part about lawsuits within the church, um, idols, there's a, a good chunk in the, the letter about, uh, of, of content in the letter about idols and idolatry. Um, and then also within it, and what we're reading is more about sexual immorality and God's good design for sex, and specifically what we're talking about and what we'll be covering this morning is, uh, and the scripture is about um, sex and marriage which is what God designed sex to be and to be for. So um, we're gonna dig into that this morning. If you wanna read or read with me here in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, starting in verse two, we just got a couple verses this morning. So the word of God reads this way, starting in verse two of chapter seven. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God for his word that he gives us uh, and the wisdom that's in it. I pray, um, I'm gonna pray for us here and, and we'll get started. Father, thank you, God, for another opportunity to be here. Um, thank you for all the people 
that have made it out this morning to hear your word. Uh, I pray, God, that you would use Paul's words here um, from so many years ago, writing uh, to this ancient church um, about things that are still very relevant to us today, God, that you would use his words to encourage us, uh, to give us wisdom and insights um, on what your good design for sex is and the good gift that it is and what the purpose behind it is. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open up the hearts uh, and soften the hearts of the people in this room, myself included, uh, to hear what you have for us this morning. I pray that you would work through me in this text in a way that gives you glory, uh, gives the gospel um, fame, and that it is all uh, to the praise and glory of you, Lord, and that we, through it, um, can have joy. Just love you, God. Thank you, uh, most of all, for Jesus, his sacrifice, and what it means to us. Ask it in his great name. Amen. All right, so I have to admit, so when I um, first knew I was gonna preach about this and just jumped into the two verses that uh, we're in this morning, being verse two and three of chapter seven, I was a little, like, had a little bit of a hard time with the passage. Uh, and the reason for that is I think um, just isolating our view to just those two verses in chapter seven um, can be kind of hard and a little puzzling in, in what Paul is trying to imply. Uh, so the way I read it the first time, um, especially in verse two, and, and if you read even one verse ahead in verse one, uh, when he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So that was in response to something that was actually written to him that he is responding to in the letter. Um, but if we read that and then we read into verse two and three, and especially two where he says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband, husband, uh, I had a hard time because it, it felt a little bit like Paul was saying to flee sexual temptation that marriage is the answer. And I have a hard time with that because as I can say as a married man and, and knowing a lot of married men and women, um, temptation doesn't just go away because you enter into the covenant of marriage. So I, I started kind of exploring a little bit more, and I think it's important to realize, and I had mentioned it earlier, but to talk a little bit more about it, that the way Paul wrote this, he didn't write it with chapters in mind. So this is a letter, and I know like writing letters is probably a lost art in our culture these days. Might be a few of you that still write letters, I don't know, maybe. Probably more like emails, which is like our modern version of letters. But even when you write a letter or an email, you're not typically marking out chapters and verses as you go. And Paul, in his letter to the church of Corinth, isn't doing that either. So I think it's important to go back a little bit into chapter six and to see kind of what the, the foundational pieces or what he was talking about leading up to um, the, the two verses we're in this morning and specifically what he calls out about sexual relations um, and sexual immorality and marriage, and that will help kind of lay the groundwork for where we're gonna go today. So this isn't gonna be up on the screen, but if you wanna turn there, we're just gonna go back to the chapter before, starting in verse 12. So we're gonna be in chapter six of 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 12, and it reads this way. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. <clears throat> or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you, have, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And then it continues on into verse one through three, and specifically, we're in two to three this morning. But I think that's important to read because we can kind of see what segues into what we're covering this morning. And I think when we combine those two together, it gives us a fuller picture of what Paul is trying to imply and what he's, what he's calling us to and how we view sex. And so that leads us to our summary statement for this morning. Uh, it's kind of our big idea of, of what we're gonna land on and, and our main focus. And, and that uh, statement is this. Sex is a good gift from God meant to lead us to oneness with our spouse so that in our pursuit of oneness, we honor God and reflect the oneness between Jesus and his church. So today's focus, and, and as we work through this series about sex, uh, last week's focus was kind of this way too, um, is our focus today is gonna be changing the principles and how we think about sex in our lives. So the next two weeks are gonna be focused a little bit more on more practical examples and how things play out in our relationships and, and in our day-to-day -day lives. Kurt's gonna unpack that and focus more on, on, on the practice of, of how we live our lives. And, but today we want to focus really on laying a foundation of changing our thoughts and our views of sex to align with God's good purpose and good design for sex so that as we work through the next two weeks in this series, uh, we'll kind of have that as a foundation for talking about the practice. So I wanna jump in a little bit to how we express unbelief and how we rebel against God's good design for how he has um, created sex as a good gift with a purpose behind it. And so I, I think it's safe to say, and we all would agree that uh, as a people, um, and as especially as a people, if, if you're in, in Christ and you follow Jesus, uh, that there are a lot of ways we express unbelief and we could probably spend an entire series or at least several sermons just talking about how we express unbelief and how we rebel against God's good design and his purpose for sex. This morning, we're just gonna focus on three. Um, so I wanted to get into those here. And I, they're, they're kind of high-level high level views or high-level uh, topics for how we express unbelief and God's good design for sex. Um, and the first one of those is that we feel and act entitled to sex. So in our lives, we feel and we act as if we are entitled to sex. And, you know, we just act like it's something that exists that we should be allowed to have and participate in uh, just because it's there. And we don't view it as a gift. We don't view it as something that's been gifted to us, but we view it as something that's already ours and that we have every right to participate in it. And I think a lot of this comes from its just general prevalence in our culture. Um, you know, I think over the years, it's gotten more and more prevalent in the, the kind of things we consume and the kind of activities uh, that we partake in and even just the conversations we partake in, it's everywhere. And I think we all can agree with that. And I think that ease of access to sex as a topic or sex as entertainment or sex as um, just a 
a, a general thing that exists throughout different areas of cultures and, and our culture in particular, um, we see it's easy to access uh, and it's presented as something that's good and pleasurable um, and that it must mean that it's just ours for the taking, that everyone else is doing it, it's all out there, it's so, we're so desensitized to it that it's just ours and we're entitled to take part of it. Um, and you know that implies more of it outside of marriage and just in like a higher level in our culture, but I also think it happens in our marriages. I think when we get into marriage, it's easy for us to just think of, think of it as like, oh, we've arrived, we're, we're married, and it's now, you know, we can now honor God uh, through sex, um, but we look at it as something that's owed to us by our spouse, and we think that we're entitled to it with our spouse, and um, it's one of those things that as you feel entitled to it, and as you're married a longer time, it's easy to get into this rhythm of if, you're entitled to something and it's not happening, that that entitlement can make, and that's where we can see broken relationships where that entitlement to sex and feeling like it's accessible to us and it's so easily accessible and it's ours for the taking, that if you're not getting it within your marriage, you can start to see people look for it elsewhere, which can lead to a lot of broken relationships and a lot of um, broken marriages and, and really bad things that can happen in, in marriage. And uh, you know, Paul alludes to this a little bit in the sense of um, where its place is in marriage, and, and specifically in chapter seven, verse three, um, when, he, when he's talking about the husband should give to his wife uh, her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband, um, or his, his conjugal rights and her to him. Uh, so we can see that like, there's a place for it, obviously, in marriage. God designed it. Um, but we'll get into this a little bit later and how we need to change our thinking. But Paul's... Paul's call out here is that it's something that should be given over um, one side to the other. So another way, and this, this is similar along the lines of the entitlement, I think it kind of leads into this. Another way that we express unbelief is um, we focus on the consumption of sex. So very often, I would say most often, the way sex is viewed in culture and in relationships and personally, in our own hearts and minds, is that we look at, it, look at it not only as something that we're entitled to, but we look at it as something that's available for consumption, and that it's all about what we can consume and take out of it, and it's not about what we can give and what its purpose is and what God's good design for it is. So really, and the, the crazy thing is, is it's almost become a recreational activity in our culture. And it's, it, we've been so desensitized to it that it's almost looked at as a form of entertainment or pleasure and not as something that has an actual purpose behind why it is done, a, apart from producing children, obviously. But like, it's one of those things that it's those skewed views, that skewed view of it being a recreational thing leads to a lot of really bad things that happen um, amongst us in relationships and just day to day uh, in, uh, amongst the human race. Things like, and, and Kurt touched on this last week and the statistics he gave um, were crazy, but things like pornography. So there's no, better, there's no better example in our culture about sex being as something that we are trying to and are so focused on consuming as pornography. It is quite literally entertainment that's only focused on that. And I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know it was in the billions of dollars Kurt talked about last week of what our 
we as people um, pour into in the United States, pour into that, that consumption of that skewed view of sex. And you know, other things too, like within that skewed view of viewing sex as something only to consume, um, things like uh, broken relationships and dating relationships, pursuing dating relationships solely with a physical focus on my, in mind and viewing it almost like a sport, like we're trying to seek out rela- physical relationships with people uh, just for that. Um, on, on the even uh, more um, like kind of criminal side of it, you see things like sexual assault, uh, prostitution, human trafficking, all of those in that view of like, Consume, consume, consume. Sex is for me and it's, for, it's mine for the taking and it's for my pleasure. As it gets into um, more and more into our culture that way, it can lead to these horrible things. And in general, we treat people like sexual objects. And that can be as, as what seems as a harmless thing as in our thoughts to all the way into our relationships. This can happen in marriage. Um, Men, I mean, Kurt called it out last week, but, and, and I call out men because I feel like this is probably more of a struggle for men. Men, within your marriages, don't think that just because you have a spouse and just because it's okay to be having sex with your spouse in your marriage, that it's okay to objectify that woman and view her as something that is just there for your consumption. And we're gonna get into how we need to change our view to make that different and how God intends for us to approach it, but I think it's worth calling that out. And even as what seems to be as a harmless thing as like conversations, it's amazing to me like, and, and I, you know, guys, and then I'm using it as my own, from my own experience, um, I don't think women joke around like this as much, but like if you've ever been in a high school locker room or heck, even a professional locker room, like in the sense, not professional in that I played professional sports, I don't, like I know I'm a physical specimen, but. Believe it or not, I've not played physical sport or uh, professional sports. More like if you're at a, a gym, just as an adult. It's amazing how, and even just in relationships, how our conversations can be so focused on sexual crudeness or jokes. And like we might think that's harmless, but the more we talk about it and the more it becomes this normal thing, it's really easy to just view it as uh, something that is just this recreational thing to consume that we should just be chatting about and talking about in our everyday life. Um, instead of viewing it as, hey, this is a, a heavy thing. This is something that God created with purpose. The last thing, uh, last way I think we express unbelief is that, um, and like I said, this isn't the last overall, but it's our last that we're gonna cover this morning, is that we idolize sex. And so what I mean by that is we treat sex as the thing, and I think most of us would probably be like, ah, I don't do that. But I think a lot of us would be surprised how much we do that and don't realize we do that. So, you know, many of us probably idolize it on a daily or weekly basis, and like I said, even as basic of a thing as how you look at people or how you think about people and the thoughts that are all contained in your mind that nobody else ever hears, that nobody else ever sees, and like I said, it's hard because in the culture we, leave, we live in where it's so desensitized to sex, it's easy for us to play that off as like, it's just a thought, that's not a big deal. But when you get in iterations into rhythms like this, it's really easy to allow those thoughts to kind of build up your view of sex in your mind to be something that it was never meant to be. It's also in the entertainment we consume. 
Um, it's also in the hope that we put in the physical aspect of relationships. And I, I would even venture to say, and you see this in some, some like media portrayals of it, and especially from Hollywood you see this, but there's, there's even some that are, have an addiction to it. And you know, addiction, I feel like, I, I'm no expert on addiction, but um, if you get to the point where you're addicted to something like sex, I think that's when it, when it can become a more obvious idol, when you realize like, if you're addicted to something, obviously you're probably making some kind of an idol out of it. Like it's, you're making it a god in your life. Um, and it's easier to admit that. It's, it's the time leading up to it when, when we're, it's a little sneakier and we don't realize that. And I think it's one of those things that it's easier to overlook, so we need to be aware of that. And in marriages, um, the way this can play out is we just see it as the thing. So I think early on in marriages, that that's, can happen a lot too, especially in the church. So uh, for, for people that are in the church and buy into and, and accept the narrative of what God's design for sex is, being between a man and a woman in marriage, they can build up sex to be this lofty thing as like, I'm gonna get married, I'm gonna find myself a good Christian spouse, and it's gonna be glorious. I'm gonna get into marriage, and I'm gonna be able to have sex as much as I want, and like we're, we will have arrived. And I think there's idolatry in that too that we need to be careful of, that we, we don't make our marriages in the covenant of marriage just about the freedom that comes in our expression of the physical aspect of our marriage and, and the sex that we're now allowed to have in marriage. And instead of, um, as a gift in our marriages, uh, and, and using it, seeing it as, a, like I said, we see it as the thing um, that we need in our marriages, and instead of as a gift in marriages to be used to confirm what God has designed it for and to, and to express what God has designed it for, it's really easy for us uh, to just view it as, as something that is pleasurable and something, uh, and kind of dumb it down to be something less than what it's meant to be. And through that, I think, how we idolize sex is that we focus on the gift of sex and we worship the gift and we don't worship the giver. So we need to make sure that we are focusing on, and we'll get to this a little bit later and when we talk about our gospel practice, but um, we need to make sure that we, our views aren't something where even in a sneaky way we're focusing on sex and the gift that sex is and not focusing on the God who created it and praising and, and worshiping the God that created it. Now, like I said earlier, before I started talking about these points, like we could go on and on and on and on about how much uh, we express unbelief and how we view sex. And, and, and we can all agree that our culture's view of sex is clearly off. Um, but I think to see God's good design for sex and marriage, we need to look to Jesus and his church, and we need to look to um, what his sacrificial giving of himself to the church means for our relationships and how that can empower us. And that leads us to our gospel conviction. So this is kind of a long statement, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it a couple times. I'm gonna read it once, and then uh, we're gonna dig into some, some scripture behind it, and then we'll read it again. But this is what our gospel conviction is and how Jesus is the hero and how we should view sex. Here it is. Even though we have and continue to rebel against God's good design of sex, Jesus' finished work on the cross covers our rebellion. It allows us to have oneness with the Holy God and by the Holy Spirit empowers us to change how we view sex to align with his good design. And so in 1 Corinthians, when the, the passage we jump back into in chapter six, um, Paul covers this and he, he specifically calls out 
the oneness between Jesus and the church in verse 17. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says this, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And so we, with, so Jesus, in giving up, up of himself, allows us to be joined to the Lord. He allows us to have oneness with God the Father. And in our marriages, we are supposed to reflect Jesus' relationship with the church, the church being his bride, and the oneness that comes from his sacrifice on the cross. So uh, a couple, it's probably about a month or two, a couple months ago, uh, we were in Ephesians. And so um, you guys probably, if you were around a couple months ago here, are probably familiar with this passage. Uh, but I wanna dig in, jump into a, an Ephesians uh, in chapter five, starting in verse 28. Uh, there is a call out in, in a passage that really helps us. So knowing what we just said about Jesus and his church and the oneness that came with him sacrificing himself, I think it's important also to read what his good design for uh, marriage is. And in Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 28, it says this, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we can see kind of an aligning of the two relationships between Christ and his church and Jesus, or Jesus in the church and us and our marriage relationships. So I wanna read that gospel conviction again, now that we've seen those passages. This is what it is. Even though we have and continue to rebel against God's good design of sex, Jesus' finished work on the cross covers our rebellion, allows us to have oneness with the Holy God, and by the Holy Spirit empowers us to change how we view sex to align with his good design. And so Jesus in the church is, is one, right? It, Paul says it in chapter six, that we are in one spirit with him. And our marriages are meant to also lead to oneness. And so we need to change our view of sex as a way, as a means to the end for changing our marriages to focus on leading to oneness that reflects the relationship of Jesus and his church. And it's meant to lead to intimacy and, the, and that oneness we're meant to have. So we're gonna, like I said uh, a minute ago or a little bit earlier, uh, we're gonna be focusing on how we can change our way of thinking. So that's gonna be our gospel practice this morning as we're gonna be talking about how we can change the way we think to align with God's good design and to go after and use sex as a catalyst to allow us to have oneness and intimacy in our marriages. Here's the, and we're, we're gonna have four of these this morning, uh, and here's the first one. We need to change our thinking to think that sex is a good gift from God that is meant to be good with a purpose. So everything that God gives us has purpose. So when God created life back in the garden all those years ago, when he created Adam, one of the first things he did was develop and create the marriage covenant between Adam and Eve. And with that came sex. He obviously created sex with a purpose. And so, and, and we can see that all things he does is, is with a purpose. And as Kurt said last week, uh, there's goodness in what God created in sex. And it isn't something that is gross and that we shouldn't talk about. Um, but instead we should focus on what God's design was for it. And in Proverbs 16, in, in verse four of 16, chapter 16, there's a passage that says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble, 
So everything God does is for purpose. Sex is not meaningless. It's not a meaningless act meant to solely um, be pleasurable for us and be there just for us to consume, almost like as in a recreational way or in a a way to just give us our own uh, pleasure and entertainment. So we need to change our view to align with that and realize that it's a good gift meant for good with a purpose. The next way is that sex, that we need to change our thinking, is we need to think about sex as, think a bit about it in a way that sex is meant to lead to oneness and intimacy in our marriage. And I, I alluded to that earlier, but it's meant to draw us together. So if we're called to be one flesh and God sees us as one flesh in our marriage, sex is a way that can allow us, in, in God's good design for marriage, um, it can be a means to the end of that oneness in our marriage and a means to the end to, to become more intimate, which can intimacy leading to oneness in our marriage. And I think it's important, so just to know the definition of intimacy, to know what we're striving for. If intimacy leads to oneness, um, intimacy is, is defined as close familiarity or friendship, closeness. And that following of God's good design for sex allows us to grow in that intimacy and to move towards that oneness. And if you're looking for a passage of, of scripture or just a, a place in scripture where you can see that intimacy and you can see just how sex can help lead to oneness and, and the beautiful display of it in a marriage, uh, Song of Solomon's a great place to look. I will, in the first, um, ser- the first series or service, I should say, sorry, um, I, I mentioned like, just know if you're getting into Song of Solomon if you've never read it, it's pretty, it's like biblically explicit, right? So like, that's the best way to describe it. There's just, there's some stuff in there that you're probably like, oh, wow. Um, but it's a good display of, of Solomon and his wife and the, the, how intimacy in a marriage relationship and sex can be. The next way we need to change how we think about sex is that we need to view sex as being about giving and not about getting. Now this goes back to what I said about consumption, but if we continue to view sex as something to consume and we continue to have a focus on it as something to pursue for our own gain and not as something that, we, that has a purpose and that we're called to give sacrificially in, um, so that we can grow in intimacy and oneness in marriage with our spouse, it's gonna let us down. And imagine, but imagine in our marriages, like within sex in our marriages, obviously, but even just in our marriages as a whole, imagine if both in, in, a, in a marriage relationship, if both husband and wife were focused on each other's needs and giving one to the other first before focusing on each other's wants and each other's desires for how they can consume whatever the other one has to offer. Obviously within sex is, is our context, but even emotional support within the relationship or joy or happiness. Imagine if, if we gave a giving first kind of approach as Christ gave himself for the church, how different our marriages would be and how glorifying to God they would be. And Paul calls this out in verse three. I mean, the way he describes it and, and the words that really stood out to me in verse three of chapter seven It says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. So his focus for sex and God's good design for sex is that it's something we should be giving and not focusing on the getting. The last way I think we need to change our way of thinking for sex is that we we can't view sex as our savior or our God. Sex is not our savior or our God. And... We have to realize, I said it earlier, but um, focusing on sex as a gift given by God, and we should never be worshiping that gift. 
but instead should be worshiping the giver, being God who designed and created it. And obviously he created it to be pleasurable and good for us. But we need to not make it our God. And I'll tell you right now, sex is a horrible God. In the short term, in our culture, where we, we view it and it's, it's pushed to us like something that gives you this quick joy or this quick pleasure, that is not going to sustain you. Sex will eventually let you down. You're gonna get to a point that you're gonna have this, if you get into that, there will be this unquenchable thirst that sex was never meant to fulfill. And the joy you're looking for isn't gonna come through that. And without Jesus, we're gonna have no chance at, at looking at sex the right way and looking at it as something that within our marriage it's meant for oneness and it's meant to grow our marriages to be moving more towards oneness and the ultimate display of, and reflecting that ultimate display of his sacrificial giving um, for the church that led to oneness with the church. And like I said, it has purpose, but sex shouldn't be at the center of everything we're doing. It should not be at the center of our marriage in the sense of it is the thing that we're striving for. It is a means to the end. It is a way that we can use, something we can use to grow together towards Jesus and to reflect his good design for marriage and the oneness that we see between him and his church. And the credit for that, all the credit and the glory for that and the, the purpose behind that goes to God and not to the gift itself. So like I said, there, there are a lot of other ways we can probably do it. Hopefully those four have been encouraging. Hopefully that as we think more about sex, this has kind of unpacked some of where we fall short. And I think as we get into um, this next couple weeks and we talk more about the practical ways of how this plays out in our relationships and our marriages and, and how uh, we approach sex and how we think about it, um, that this helps to lay a good foundation for changing the way we think. If we don't change the way we think, we're never gonna be able to act. And the only way we're gonna be able to change the way we think is Jesus. He's the key, he's the example. His relationship with his church and the oneness with the church and the sacrifice he made empowers us to by the Spirit to seek that same oneness in our relationships to reflect his relationship with the church and, and specifically in marriage. And he gave himself to reconcile us to the Father. Without that, we'd have no chance at it. So we need to focus in our marriages and in our view of sex to be focused on giving up ourselves sacrificially and focusing on the giving and not the getting, as I mentioned. And for us to accomplish that oneness in our marriages, that has to be the focus, is giving to our spouses and for those that aren't married, um, changing our way of and our thinking of, and our focus on what God's true purpose for sex is as leading to oneness in marriage can only start to happen if we first surrender to who Jesus is and seeing what his sacrificial love for us was and realizing that we are sinful people that skew God's good gifts all the time. And the only way for us to align back to what God's good gifts are and what he has for us is to look to the one who redeemed us and the one that took our place and covers those sins with his his sacrifice on the cross. So my prayer today for us is that Jesus would be the hero in this struggle. I know it's hard. I know that you're gonna leave this place and you're gonna go out into a culture and into a world where sex is just peddled to you in every form of entertainment and you know, writing and relationship and conversation. It's everywhere. It's crazy how prevalent it is in our culture. 
Well, my prayers to you, for you is that putting our faith and our hope in Jesus and what he did for us to bring us to oneness with him and reconcile us to the Father will allow us to have that view of sex for oneness in our marriages that God intended for and the purpose that he, he has behind his good gift and his good creation of sex. So as I invite the band up, um, I'll close this out in prayer. Like I said, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you go out of here with just that the spirit will move in you and change your view and our view as a whole of what God has in, intended for us and in, in his good gift of sex. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, I can't praise you enough for the opportunity to be together in this place, um, seeking wisdom in your word, seeking wisdom in what your good design is for sex as a good gift. God, we praise you for that good gift. We praise you for all your good gifts. Um, Father, your, your word says that every good gift, every perfect gift is from you, uh, Lord, coming down from you. So God, help us to worship you, uh, to find our hope in Jesus, to be reconciled to you, and that that's our only hope of getting these things right. And that by surrendering to Jesus, that we can start to view sex the way you designed it and start to view it as the good gift it is within our marriages. I pray that as our thoughts change of how we look at sex and our view of sex, that God, there would be real change in our lives, that we would have that play into our daily lives and our relationships and our marriages, and that Lord, that we would give you all the glory for it, and that we wouldn't focus on that gift and give that gift glory, Lord, but give you as creator of it all the glory and praise. Thank you for Jesus, thank you that he has reconciled to us to you, um, that we have oneness with you in spirit because of him. Ask it in his great name, amen.